When traveling on a budget, how can you travel safely? If something is not right about the place, about the people, about the car or the accommodation, maybe something is not right. And then I think it's important to listen to your gut feel and then remove yourself from that situation. Safeguarding the Future of Tomorrow, a podcast by International SOS. Welcome, welcome, and thank you for joining us for the very first episode of Safeguarding Tomorrow's Future, a podcast for students. We are International SOS and we aim to talk about health and safety topics relevant to students, especially if they're traveling for school trips and exchange programs. Now, I'm very excited to have our first guest for this series. We have your ask Noriko. Noriko, maybe would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Shaza. My name is Noriko. I'm the Security Direct Assistant covering Asia. Welcome, welcome. And we have Bala. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Bala. I'm the Regional Security Manager covering Singapore and Brunei. Thank you for joining us. So in this episode, and our very first episode, uh, we'll be talking about how to stay safe while saving money. Bala, can you share a little bit with us what is shared economy? Shared economy is something uh, becoming growing, very much of evolving way we do business, the way we interact with other people. This shared economy support will be 335 billion USD. Wow. That, that's, a, that's a big number, right? And, and that has mainly been driven by the f- convenience factor. People are all on the phones. It has more increased time spent on smartphones. Apps are more intuitive. It's easier to compare and uh, reviews or, or prices at your uh, fingertips, right? Mm-hmm. So this has really been driving this uh, sharing around. And I think what we want to also find out is why are students drawn to this particular option? First, I think um, they are digital natives. So as uh, Bala was talking, that uh, anything on the phone, anything digital um, resonates with the how their lifestyles are. Mm-hmm. Another one is maybe the lifestyle experiences that they are hoping for. Mm. Like, you know, we've been talking about couch surfing, yeah. but that's not just a peer-to-peer sharing of the accommodation, but actually the host is supposed to be sharing the experiences or they're showing the city so that maybe the student who wants to explore, and that's the main purpose of traveling in any case, um, can meet with people and then also look at the cities and that actually gives them a local host to live like local so that could be appealing for students as well I think when these shared economy or like Uber, Grabs came into the market has become so integral part of our lives right? so that when you travel it becomes almost like a reflect mm-hmm. that you need the same experiences you look for the Grab you look for the maybe the local version of the similar uh, app but definitely I think I think it's important that we also understand that travel or the destination might not be the same risk environment as mm. you know home environment so I think it's important how we put the different layers in terms of the risk mitigation indeed is peer-to-peer sharing um, all these shared services as well. Yeah, and I think Mm. you both brought up very important points. So I think as much as, you know, we see 
growing and why it's growing. There's so much pros to it. As Norico mentioned earlier, it's very important to also understand the risks behind every option. We're definitely not saying don't go for it because savings behind it, there's convenience behind it and all these experiences that we talked about. So let's start off with transportation. Bala, you want to share some of the popular services for, for transport in a shared economy that students may, may choose when they are abroad? Um, definitely, because when I was a student, that was a long time ago, <laughs> we didn't have these apps, right? Grab and your Uber and your Gojeks, right? And they are now, like what Noriko earlier mentioned, they become part of our lives, right? Yeah. And for me personally, I, I feel that using this ride-hailing or shared apps, right, it's, they have their pros, right? they have their benefits. Uh, we, we no longer, as a tourist in a different country, go down and flag a cab and start to haggle the fare with the driver and run the risk of him or her driving us to a remote location and then asking for more money and then we are kind of held ransom in that sense. But uh, with these apps, you know, you know who's going to come, what kind of vehicle is going to come, you even have the estimated time you'll be reaching the place, who's going to be driving a vehicle and the best part of it which I like is the fare is fixed, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the, and, and sometimes I don't even take out the cash to pay because it's linked to my credit card or whatever. I minimize all this risk at my end. More or less, there is a bit of visibility of where I'm going in my journey, GPS on my phone, of course. So in that sense, I actually find uh, these apps are pretty useful. Yeah, also, but I think the pros of the using the right hailing services also comes because some places taking public transportation is not so safe. Definitely the taking the public transportation, tuk-tuk, bus and trains are actually more economical way. Mm-hmm. But maybe if you go out for dinner, you might not be wanting to take the public transportation back because you don't know how dangerous or yeah, what kind of dark, risk is yeah. during the night in the cities you don't know. So definitely then the option is to take um, maybe private transportation, which can be a taxi, all the right hailing services. I think one point is around the fact that if you want to make multiple pit stops, you want to control that, that agenda by yourself, then there's also that, that option of renting your own car, Definitely. right? And I think for students, I mean, I remember when I was on exchange, friends would be like, okay, let's, let's rent a car, then we can go here, we can go there, you know, we can explore areas which public transport doesn't go to, which obviously sounds exciting as a student, <laughs> but I'm sure that comes with its own risks, right? Yeah, definitely the renting a car with students, I mean, or the, with friends, gives a great freedom. I think it's important to remember that um, if you are the group of travellers or students and foreign, that first that you don't know traffic regulations in a country, and also you might not know the local traffic rules, mm-hmm. that it's not the regulation, but then how people drive. Yeah. So in any case, that driving in those environments is definitely more hazardous than the, you'll be driving in your own country. Another one that I think we need to remember is that, um, you know, as a student, you used to maybe go get a little bit carried away um, with the fun. That's reasons why that uh, we see the roads safety statistics that students mid-20s actually have the highest fatality rate. The reasons is that maybe they're a little bit more reckless Mm -hmm. in driving and in inexperience definitely because you just might just got the license and also that's a peer pressure. Okay so we spoke about the risks of you know renting your own car, um, potentially even you know using some of these ride sharing services. Can we provide some advice to the students on what should they look out for when they are choosing their mode of transportation? I think uh, pretty much um, like what 
Noriko was mentioning, right? It's it's also based on on your own profile as well, right? Um, what is your activity going to be like? Mm. And it's a bit of social responsibility or responsibility on, on the driver's end, right? If you're going to be driving, making sure that you don't drink and all of that, all of that. I think that's where most of the the risk might be averted. But of course, choosing a responsible car rental company, right? Uh, who have a good history or track record of responding if there is a road breakdown. I think two things that you can probably look into: the reputation of the car company and their how robust they are in, in dealing with these kind of exigencies. And also, of course, your own profile, right? Mm-hmm. You have to take your precautions. You have to be responsible when when you do this. I think we need to have travel insurance if you're yeah. traveling. So that that's a first step, and then the that covers financial risk. But uh, some of the ride-sharing services, in any case, uh, check there is a car has an insurance, right? Mm. Some of those um, layers of verification is one of the advantage of using a ride-sharing services if it's a reputable one. What I think we need to be mindful is that uh, that enforcement is variable country to country. Mm. So I was just um, hearing about someone who took uh, ride-sharing services um, in Indonesia. And then when driver arrived, the mm. person was different from the who said it was on the app. Yeah. And it turned out that it was the family member was driving. But then in that case, um, insurance might not cover yeah. as well from the right heading services. So definitely like something basic precaution, like checking if the car is the right one. Yeah. <laughs> I actually got into the wrong car before. <laughs> So, so before you get in, like maybe you're in Harry or like yeah. you're talking with your friends. Oh, but then they it could be a popular location yeah, where many people right, are you yeah. know, getting a car. Right so here. that's the uh, first thing. Mm-hmm. And second is that um, check the driver because you don't know the person. And um, Bala was mentioning that you can actually check where you're going. Mm-hmm. But then when you're in the car, I think it's also important whether it's a taxi or the right heading services that you're actually getting to your yeah. and well. I think for for some um, apps I think you're actually even able to share the your trip location. with um, Grab for example you can share that trip with you know your parents or it's yeah. not cool enough your, your friends <laughs> also friends. they know that you know like you're supposed to be there at a certain time and they can yeah. help you check in and say hey are you okay are you at your destination yeah, so definitely. I think those um, yeah. and yeah. maybe if you're a female um, lone traveller maybe you're not going to be taking the grab alone mm-hmm. um, in the evening and if I have to take the grab or like any transportation alone in the evening that I the places I don't know Often I do is that uh, I actually call someone mm. from the taxi so that uh, actually... All You're the, speaking to someone, yeah, someone like, else. Yeah. And um, it actually signals the driver that I know someone there as yeah. well. So I think that kind of putting the third party in that um, the confined space is actually quite a good strategy as well. Another one which just came to my mind, uh, cheaper isn't always better. Mm-hmm. When I mentioned that about transportation, I am not a huge advocate of the sharing with a motorbike, right? Right. Especially in a, in a, in a, in a foreign location because that exposes you a lot of safety risks as well mm-hmm. uh, because motorbikes are definitely at a higher rate of accidents uh, than, than your cars and all that. But also there's been some horror stories that travellers have faced. Uh, there have been cases where they have, you know, gotten into an accident in that sense, but actually it's 
kind of freaked by the rider to run away with your phones or whatever kind of thing. Because it's not so easy to hold on to a motorbike and use your app at the same time to see where you're going, right? Mm, so yes. that's always, that throws you the kind of risk at you. So that's something which I personally don't think I, uh, it's advocated to take a motorbike. It can save you a few, few dollars, but it puts you at a whole world of risk. So I thought that was a great discussion on uh, transportation. So let's talk about accommodation now. Noriko, could you start us off? What are some of the accommodation options that are typically available to students who are on a budget? Traditionally, students, um, you know, when they travel, maybe they pack back. Mm, then yes. the popular places will be the hostels. Yeah. Some of the people take uh, cheaper hotels. And that's kind of the second step I mean, after the hostels because you might not want to share your room so that you want to have privacy. What we've seen is that um, in a similar way as the transportation, you actually share your house mm-hmm. or the apartment with others, so like Airbnb is there. And um, also that we've seen uh, couchsurfing, that way that uh, you actually be hosted, then it's not necessary that you pay for the accommodation as well. So that's a different option. So then, are there any risks that they should be aware of or they should look out for? Maybe even choosing, right, reading reviews. What, what are some of the red flags that they should pick up on? I think some principles are quite common, regardless of what kind of traveller you are, right? Whether you're a backpacker, a flashbacker, solo traveller, solo female traveller. Certain uh, fundamentals don't change, right? And, and I'm a firm believer of someone who believes a lot in preparation. More often than not with technology and websites, there's very good websites available right now like Hostels, Hostel World, uh, and all of that. They are the go-to kind of platforms where people read reviews and mm-hmm. it really helps because it doesn't come from the business or from the person but more of a user who's used it recently. Again, based on preparation, right? It's always good to have a couple of things to fall back on, right? I always believe that some nowadays a lot of hostels provide saves, like saves mm-hmm. for you to keep your yes. stuff and I think that's a basic one and um, sometimes there isn't a premium you got to pay for this. So it's, it's good to have a save to keep your valuable items like your passports and all those valuable items when you're moving out because losing a passport is one of the more common ones travelers always face and it's a very big hassle so like trying to keep a soft copy or a photograph of the passport and keeping the actual passport in the safe really can make a world of a difference right actually i always had a question about that right so in my experience when i used to go for like youth hostels mm. then there was always this option again of hey do you want to put your stuff in our safe and it's a common safe though it's not like it's not in your own room so you would have to hand over your personal belonging over to someone at the counter and then he's gonna save for you how safe is that depends on the establishment and then the many things with safety and security comes with common sense as well like you know like hostels it's very nice and then it's social but then it's open mm-hmm. and there's very little private space with the layers of security as well so that uh, definitely that's where you need to be taking that responsibility and maybe the hotel um, or the hostel looks like uh, they have a really good system to um, keep the your variables why not? Mm-hmm. But um, definitely when you're on the budget travel, traveling through the hostels or even Airbnb, um, it's really good to have a strategy for your valuables. But definitely like things like your telephone. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so reliant on your telephone, but then your telephone might actually be worth um, even annual wage for someone. So definitely you're the target, right? So then the wherever that you are, accommodation, transportation, definitely that uh, you need to have a pouch or mm, yeah. anything that uh, it's more difficult for people to take and then you know where your valuables are 
at all times. I think there's also another component of safety that I found was very comforting when I was uh, backpacking in Europe back then was that there was an option for female-only wing for mm. hostels. If we want to be very prudent, then yeah, single um, sex floor or the, the rooms, definitely one of the options, especially for female as well. How about for Airbnb? Are there any risks or anything that you know students should look out for when they are selecting their Airbnbs? It's a similar way to the ride-hailing services. I understand those that Airbnb or the, any of the shared accommodation services have certain verification measures. Mm-hmm. So that first layer is there. But definitely looking at the property is not a protest locations or like crime prone locations or like maybe not uh, next to you know red light district uh, so that um, actually whenever that you go on in and out then you're going to be safer and then the look at the maybe the profile of people review um, that uh, you see about the host about the accommodation mm-hmm. and then see that suits your preferences once that you get to the accommodation uh, looking at how good the locks are I think that's another thing as well to make sure that you're safe inside yeah yeah um, and, and if they're not good then yeah. you can bring a door stopper right <laughs> <laughs> or the second key yeah, like exactly. locks I've heard crazy stories about how, you know, they're like yeah. hidden cameras is, is there anything that we can do to mitigate against that? Bala, do you have any I mean, um, this is, yeah, like what like Monica mentioned, it can happen anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Any yeah. restaurant, toilets, and all of that areas are all prone to that. There are some devices, actually, you can get quite cheap. Those uh, who are infrared kind of scanners, if there's something, you know, there's a door hook, but it's giving you some kind of signal, probably you might want to get it checked out. Alright, so I think those were really great points brought up both for transport and accommodation. So Bala and Noriko, maybe let's sum it up for our listeners today and share with us the three key takeaways that they should think about after listening to this episode. Maybe Bala, you want to start off with the first one? I mean, um, like what I mentioned earlier, I'm still a firm believer, I think I'll continue to always be a firm believer of preparation. I think that really reduces your risk. Doing a bit of research on the location, using those platforms to look at the host, if you're doing Airbnb, take a look at the, the host reviews, and then definitely in certain hostels, they will also be able to give you some user reviews. The most recent reviews be even better because that things might change. So always um, doing the preparation. Thank you. And Noriko, maybe the second key takeaway. So once you know the your risk, definitely the next step is to mitigate the risk. So that helps to prevent uh, the any of the incidents from happening as well. So for transportation, just um, we discussed that uh, looking at the station of the companies, uh, also the checking the drivers, maybe strategy of the uh, sharing your whereabouts with the, your family or friends. That's another thing for the accommodation, looking at the safety measures that accommodation has, safe locks or that maybe the shared facilities. And in the prevention, I think what's really important is to follow your gut feeling. You could be meeting with people, you could be meeting with your host for couch surfing, maybe you're in a car with a driver. It's very important if something is not right about the place, about the people, about the car or the accommodation, maybe something is not right. And then I think it's important to listen to your gut feel. And Bala, let's wrap it up with the last key takeaway. I think no matter how much preparation and all that, it still may expose you to certain risks because you may find yourself at the wrong place at the wrong time and that's purely due to circumstances, right? 
So important is to have that adversarial mindset to actually run through. Like if things go wrong, what should I be doing next? If something's happening here, where is the safest place to go first and, and put myself in a safe haven kind of thing. So running through those risks at the back of your head always helps to react faster. The saying goes, right, when in Rome do as the Romans do, the local cultural aspect cannot be undermined. I always try to speak to local sources. Can be, it can be the hotel staff, it can be even your driver, depending on how comfortable you are with them. And probably they will be able to tell you like, um, based on their own experience on the ground, they will be telling you things to avoid, things mm-hmm. to do, and things not to do. Uh, these things really can make, make or break your trip. Alright, so we've come to the end of our very first episode. Thank you for tuning in and I hope you've learned a lot of information. And for the next episode, we'll be covering extreme weather and natural hazards and how that can affect your trip. So stay tuned.